Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. There is a lesson that I've been reminded of recently. And the lesson is, power in the wrong hands is a nightmare But power in the right hands is a dream come true. I've just finished reading the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. And in those books, when the wrong man was on the throne, there was disaster. And when the right man was on the throne, there was often blessing. And last Friday night, for us to unwind, Gloria and I watched a a film called A Call to Spy. It tells some of the true stories of the female British spies that were sent into Nazi-occupied France in an effort to weaken and dismantle Nazi rule there. It's estimated that about one in three of the women who were sent there died. The women, though, weren't unaware as to what they were getting themselves into, they knew full well the dangers that they faced, but they went valiantly because they understood that that power could not remain in Hitler's hands. And then on Tuesday night, as Matthew and Mason shared their experiences in Poland, uh, of Poland and Estonia, Matthew mentioned that anyone over the age of 35 in Poland is able to remember either Nazi rule or Soviet rule, both forces proving it once and for all that when power is in the wrong hands, a nightmare unfolds. But there is one who can be trusted with power. In his life and ministry, Jesus had infinite power as God and yet used his power not for earthly gain, but for the good of others. His power brought peace. 
In Mark chapter 4, we read, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. His power brought hope. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was back in Nazareth, his hometown, he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And as we continue In the book of Acts this morning, we're going to see that Jesus' power creates saving faith. Jesus' power creates saving faith. That is, Jesus' power is unleashed in Peter's ministry. The result is a full-blown revival. Residents of Lydia Lydia and Sharon and Joppa turn to the Lord in view of a demonstration of Jesus' power. Jesus' power creates saving faith. But before we get to Acts chapter 9 and before we see that for ourselves, I want to address two kinds of people today. Uh, If you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, allow me to say this. This will primarily be a message for you. And to you, I must say this, be careful how you hear. I say that because when Jesus' power is put on display, hearts either melt like ice or harden like clay. I stole that from the Puritans who used to say the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And so as the beams of Jesus' power shine and radiate out of Acts chapter 9 verses 32 to 43 today, be very careful how you hear because those two responses are not equally valid. One will lead you to heaven, the other will lead you to hell. But if you hear and you are a believer, be assured that there will be much in this passage for you too because I believe that this passage will make us hunger for Jesus to demonstrate and reveal his power through us. That since our best efforts cannot do it and since our best ideas cannot raise the spiritually dead, we will long for Jesus to work his power out through us. Only his power will do. Jesus' power creates saving faith. And I want us to see today how that worked out. In number one, Aeneas the paralytic 
And number two, Tabitha, the deceased. So number one, Aeneas, the paralytic. Look with me at verse 32 again. Luke, our author, writes, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And if you're interested, that was 23 miles away from Jerusalem, where Peter just was, verse 33. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Niccolo Paganini, an Italian violinist, was once playing a violin concerto before a packed house when one of his violin strings snapped. Being a a genius, he, he was able to improvise and continue the piece on the three remaining strings. But as he went on, another string snapped and then another. And yet miraculously, he made it to the end of the piece using only one string. The house was said to have applauded their hands numb. A wonderful moment took a turn for the worst, but ended in superior glory. And as Peter went here and there among them all, the apostle Peter was walking in wonder. Just look back to verse 31, the verse before the one that I just read for us. Verse 31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. But then a violin string snapped in verse 33 when Peter encountered Aeneas. It's horrendous being paralyzed today, but being paralyzed back in the first century was a different thing almost all together. There was no universal credit for those unable to work. There was no housing benefit for those unable to pay their rent. There was no support for mortgage interest for those unable to pay their mortgage. There were no tax-funded payer uh, carers to help you. The, the reality was, unless your friends and family could care for you and cover all of your expenses, you were a homeless beggar. And since Rome had given tax collectors to tax people out of their eyeballs, that was basically every disabled person in the first century. That's why in John chapter 5, we're told that in Jerusalem, around the pool of Siloam, a multitude of invalids lay, blind and lame and paralyzed, just waiting for a miracle. And here we have in our passage, a man who couldn't, move his body, a man who couldn't keep a roof over his head, and I'm going to guess who couldn't hope either. Because when you've been one way for eight years, it is very hard to imagine that the next eight years of your life are going to be any different at all. And perhaps as the saints of Lydda preached the gospel and retold the stories of those who were healed and converted, Aeneas thought to himself, yes for them. No for me. Good for them, but not for me. His was a need that only Jesus 
could meet. Which is why Peter says to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And the need that only Jesus could meet was the need that Jesus did meet. So that all of the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned in repentance and faith to Jesus, not to Peter. It was obviously all of Christ. And friends, can I say, this is the right response to a manifestation of Jesus' power. And so if you are here today and you're not yet a believer, please can I ask you to understand in this moment that right here in this room, you are surrounded by a bunch of walking miracles. Because before Jesus changed our lives, we were as able to save ourselves as Aeneas was able to move his body. We were unable to please God. Romans 8 verses 7 and 8 say this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That was us. We were unable to see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says, The God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That was us. We were unable to come to God because Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father draw him. And we were as able to bring about our new spiritual births as we were able to bring about our first physical birth. Because Jesus said in John chapter, eight, uh, John chapter 3 verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. But now, everything, from the inside out and from the top to the bottom about our, our lives has been changed. Now we can please God because we are no longer in the flesh but we're in the spirit. And now we can see the glory of God shining in the face of Christ because God has removed the veil so that now we can see. And now we have come to Jesus because God drew us irresistibly to Jesus the way a 10-ton magnet would lift the safety pin. Now Now we are born again because we were born not of perishable seed but imperishable seed by the living and abiding word of God. And Jesus did for our souls what he did for Aeneas's body. So in view of such miraculous power, you must respond the same way the residents of Lydda and Sharon did. Turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for yourself and receive for yourselves what we ourselves have known. But for us believers, notice how the text says in verse 35, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him. And they turned to the Lord. Friend, circle, underline, highlight, and star those words, saw him. 
They saw the manifestation of Jesus' power and they turned to the Lord. The power that healed Aeneas was invisible but, be, but could be seen as Aeneas' body moved around and did stuff that it couldn't do before. The power that changed our lives was invisible but we are to make it visible in both our words and our works. Both our words and our works are essential to make Jesus' invisible power visible to a watching world. And the reality is some of us, some of you, some within the church, gravitate more to one than the other. So maybe we are keen to say the right things, but our lives are essentially indistinguishable from those in the world. Others of us, we want to make the right decisions in life, and yet we are as quiet as a church mouse for Jesus. But both are essential to make the invisible power of Jesus visible in a hostile world. If you and I were sat next together on an airplane and we were flying at altitude and I turned to you and I said, hey, which do you think is more important, the left wing or the right wing? What do you think you would say? And if we are going to make Jesus' power visible, both our words and our works are needed. I got his permission to share this. I really did. I called him this past week. But last Sunday, I had a couple of you over for Sunday lunch. And I was just coming out of the house and my brother here, our brother at the church, just saw four people walking past our house. And he just said to them, oh, are you all all right? And they said, yeah, we're all right. And he said, yeah, we've got so much to be thankful for, haven't we? And they said, yeah, we do. And he said, the question is, who are we to thank? And one of them just pointed to the sky and he said, that's right. Do you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ? And he said, well, I I think I do. And he said, you think you do? Do you love your wife? And he said, yeah. And he said, well, do you know, when you're in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that you love him the way that you love your wife. Do you know, 49 years ago, I was an alcoholic and I lost my job. And then I joined the army. Ah, Did did the army sort you out? No, it wasn't the army. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. He delivered me from the dominion of darkness and he transferred me into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And as I was pulling my jaw off of the ground, we, we got into the car and he just looked at me and said, well, it's not hard, is it? But our works as well as our words count. Friend, let me put it to you like this. Our conduct must correspond to our conversion. You remember the time that sinful woman crashed the party that Jesus was attending? She collapses in front of him in a pool of tears. Everyone's despising her. And then Jesus says, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. 
for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. What is that? Her conduct corresponded to her conversion. And may it be so for us today. Well, I want us to see second Tabitha, the deceased. Just look with me at verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, and again that was 11 miles if you're interested, the disciples hearing that Peter was there sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, Atana. You see the contrast between those two stories? Aeneas couldn't move. Tabitha would have been very much on the move. Her name translated into English, means gazelle. And she was about as active as a a, a gazelle. She was full of good works and charity, such that when Peter arrives at the house, they show Peter all of these garments that she'd made for the poor, to care for the poor, to care for people just like Aeneas, as though as to say, she is worthy to have you do this for her. Look at the way that she's cared for people. So whereas Aeneas was dependent on others, many depended on Tabitha. But did you see the similarities as well? Both were incapable of fixing themselves. Aeneas couldn't mo- Aeneas's body couldn't move. Tabitha's heart couldn't beat. Both had a need that only Jesus could meet. And Jesus met them in and through the work of the apostle Peter. People sometimes like to connect this story to the raising of Jairus' daughter in the Gospels. And so they should. There we're told someone came from Jairus' house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher, Jesus, any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means 
little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And if Peter was speaking Aramaic in Acts chapter nine, which he probably was, then Peter's words differed in one Aramaic letter or character to Jesus' words there. But friends, notice the colossal difference in the two narratives. Jesus raised Jairus' daughter by his own power. Peter had to pray the power down. Peter was only the instrument. Jesus was the source. The power belongs to Christ. And I was thinking about how to illustrate this this past week. A story from the Gospel of John came into my mind. You remember in John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus who's died. And then we read this in John chapter 12. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. In other words, Since Lazarus was a walking, talking billboard to the power of Jesus Christ, multitudes bowed the knee to Jesus. Everything about his existence showcased the power of Christ. And if you're truly a Christian, your heart is pleading with the Lord in this moment for the same to be said of you. For everything about your life to demonstrate the power of Jesus Christ. So that saving faith would emerge from the hearts of those who are around you. See, like Lazarus, we too were dead, weren't we? And you, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, were dead In your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, um, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why has God prepared good works for us to do beforehand? To display the power of Jesus Christ in us. 
That's why. That when your husband proves himself to be a, a bit of a dummy, but you love him anyway, in our divorce-happy culture, that speaks volumes. And when you have this joy, 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 joy down in your heart, when you are excluded and reviled for the sake of Christ, that speaks volumes to those who are around you. And when the doctor says it's cancer and you feel that stab of fear enter into your heart as one pastor described his own experience, but then he preached those words to his own soul. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we live or are asleep, we might live through him and have peace like a river flowing over you, flowing out of you, flowing into you. That speaks volumes to those who are around you. When you tithe faithfully to the church and give sacrificially of your money, when finances are tight, you say to all those around you, I have a better treasure and an abiding one. A better treasure than an unnecessarily fancy car. A better treasure than an unnecessarily fancy new house. My gift is in my giving. To Jesus. See, friends, it didn't take very much, did it, for Lazarus or for Tabitha to prove the power of Jesus. They just had to breathe. They just had to blink. They just had to wave to their friends who were wondering while they were still breathing and alive. For us, friends, it will take much, much more. Isn't that why Jesus said, let your good deeds shine before men? so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, let us commit ourselves today to living counter-cultural lives that can be explained by nothing and no one other than Jesus Christ. I mean this for us as individuals, and I mean this for us corporately as the church. Why not sacrifice your time this coming week and doing a hospital visit? Hugh, that's your job. Yeah, I know that's my job. And I do seek to do that. And I do do that faithfully. But friends, you don't need to be a pastor to care for the hurting. Why not sacrifice your dignity this week in sharing the gospel in faith that some will see and some will hear And some will trust in the Savior. And to those of you who have joined us today who are yet unconverted, friends, that is what you must do today. You must turn, you must trust, you must believe in the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been thinking a lot, haven't we, about Tabitha's resurrection. But I must end this message today by talking about your resurrection. Because Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 says this, Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And Hebrews 9.27 says this, It is appointed once for a man to die, and after that, the judgment. And the only way to prepare yourself for that physical resurrection is, 
in the future is by a spiritual resurrection in the present. Being made alive in Christ by the power of God. Is death better than life to you, friend? Is blindness better to you than sight? Is slavery better to you than freedom? Then turn and trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today and you will be saved. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand?